Good afternoon. How's everybody doing? I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to talk about one of my favorite topics, uh, which is creative financing strategies. Love talking creative financing strategies. Um, I, I really love how to figure out how I can purchase properties, investment properties, um, using little to none of my own money. Sometimes leaving the, the seller, the um, owner's uh, mortgage on the property, um, using other people's money to um, to, real, to, to really um, finance my wealth. And so that's what we do as real, as real estate um, investors. We use other people's money to build our wealth. And so um, I'm going to be talking about probably there's a lot of different creative financing strategies. But um, for today, I'll be talking about probably my five favorite, um, the ones that I do. Um, almost on a daily basis when I when I find a property. So when I find a property and I find properties in various ways, I get a lot of deals from wholesalers, um, do a lot of networking. Um, I have gone driving for dollars. I have cold called every night. I mean, doorknob, um, postcards, direct mail. So I, I've done it all. <clears throat> Internet, I've done it all. But um, so when I find a property, the first thing I think of is, is there a way that I can negotiate with the seller, the motivated seller? Is there a way that I can buy a property using none of my own money or very little, or at the very least not have to get bank financing? And so those are the things that I'm going to talk about um, today, uh, how to use other people's money. Um, and so I want you guys to take notes, um, go, go in the comments section if you've got questions. And so I'm going to take my time and go over these strategies. And so let's let's get started. So I recently, um, well, about a year and a half ago, I, I purchased a property. Uh, a motivated seller called me, um, had heard of me, knew I was a real estate investor. And he said, I've, I've got this rental property that um, I'm having problems with. The tenant's not paying. Um, I'm a little behind on the mortgage, two or three months behind on the mortgage. Um, I looked at the numbers and the numbers didn't meet the Mayo formula, didn't meet the formula that I used to purchase properties, but it was real close. It was real close. And so I said to myself, if I can save money on not having to go through two settlements, meaning purchase his property, um, pay transfer, recordation taxes, um, title charges, renovate the property. And then when I sell it, have to go through another settlement. If I could save that money and if I could save money on not having to pay finance charges to a, to a mortgage company, then it's a good deal. The numbers work for me. And so this is what I proposed to him. I said to him, first thing I said was, you need to get your tenants out. And he agreed. He said, I've already given them a 30 day notice. Um, they're on their way out. And then I said, here's what I'll do, because I've already looked at the numbers. He wasn't he was about three months behind, but didn't want to wanted to really you know, mess his credit up. So I said, I'll bring the mortgage current, which in this case was like six or seven thousand dollars. I'll bring it current. 
um, I'll renovate the property. You sign this agreement. I'll pay you $5,000 when you sign the agreement. And then um, I'll renovate the property. And then once I get an end buyer, you come to settlement and I'll pay you another $5,000 to um, sign the closing documents. So in total, I'll pay you $10,000. And he agreed because he thought the house was going to go to foreclosure. He didn't want his credit messed up. He um, and wanted to walk away with some money. So he agreed to the deal. So um, we agreed to the deal. I put a lien on the property. I told him, I said, look, I'm going to put a lien on the property. Um, the lien will be released when we sell the property. So I, I put a lien on the property in the amount of um, what I was, what I had estimated my, my cost to be to renovate the property. So I think in this case, I, I put a lien on a property of about $30,000. It only took about 20, but you know, I, I want to go a little over. So I actually put a lien on the property and let him know I put a lien. He signed the agreement. We, we were good. I brought the mortgage current. I um, paid the utilities for the 90 days that I had the property. Um, I ran my formula and my formula said at the time that my after repair value, what I could sell the house for was 235. Now, um, I, I was all in. His mortgage balance was about 125. Um, I put in about twenty thousand um, dollars, and when it, when it was time for me to actually list the property, the value had gone up. There's the next door neighbor had sold their house for two fifty, so the value had gone up. Sold the property, listed the property, sold it for two fifty. And he got his $5,000 and then I got my profit up. I, I think it was 50 or $60,000. And so in that case, I didn't, I didn't, I only went through one settlement when we actually sold the property. Um, his house didn't go to foreclosure. I didn't have to go get financing. And so that's an example of what we call a subject to deal. I bought the property or I acquired the property or I controlled the property subject to the existing mortgage. So the existing mortgage stayed on the property. I agreed to pay the mortgage payments. Um, he agreed to step, step away, so to speak. I paid the utilities. I paid the, um, the HOA fees. I brought them current, but I included all those in the numbers. And so, I'm going to give you my five favorite um, um, creative financing strategies, but you only do these, you guys, when the numbers work. The numbers still have to work. The numbers at the end of the day still have to meet the Mayo formula. Um, but the beauty of this one was I didn't have to go out and get any finance. And I used his, his mortgage. He was happy. He walked away. I was happy. Um, I saved money on closing costs and you know I, I made my money. And so we, we use, write this down, we use um, subject to deals. I do subject to deals where I know that the seller is distressed. And so the seller has to be distressed. The numbers have to work. Um, they often, subject to often works um, if the seller is getting ready to go to foreclosure and the numbers still work for you. Um, Anytime that you can take over a mortgage, I, I had another one. One of, one of my coaching students 
um, was calling a list of pre-foreclosures. So she was calling a list of pre-foreclosures, um, called a lady. She said, yes, I need to sell quickly, come to my house. Um, I'm going to foreclosure in two weeks. And so she actually sent me, she couldn't make it. I went to the property, I talked to her, I ran the numbers. The numbers worked. I brought her mortgage current. She agreed to move out. She, she um, moved out with a, a relative. I stopped the foreclosure by bringing the mortgage current, um, renovated the property. She signed the agreement, of course, paid her to sign the agreement, paid her to come back and sign the documents at settlement. And again, I made fifty, sixty thousand dollars didn't have to go out and get a mortgage on that property whatsoever, um, paid her mortgage, brought it current, and she was happy. And as a matter of fact, at settlement, she was crying because she just thought, you know, she's going to lose everything. And so subject to, subject to, um, I have a subject to um, contract that spells out everything that you need. Um, you don't want to use a regular contract, um, whether it's you know the state contract for realtors or a regular investor contract, you've got to use a subject to contract. I've had my attorney draw up a subject to contract. Um, so that's subject to, and that's probably um, my favorite creative financing strategy. Every property that I look at, I want to do subject to. I want to leave that mortgage on the property if I can, and maybe 10, 20% of the time um, it works out but I want to do subject to. And, I, and so I encourage you whenever it's a distress situation and the numbers work, use subject to the existing mortgage. And again, if you guys have questions, put it in the comment section. Um, private lenders. I use a lot of private lenders um, to purchase my properties. Typically, whenever I fix and flip a property, if I'm not doing subject to, I'm using a private lender. And so there's a myth that you guys have heard of kind of growing up that you could buy real estate using no money down. Well, it's not a myth. You can't. And so I've got a property that I'm renovating now in the Brentwood section in Northeast DC, where I acquired a property um, for $300,000. Um, I, I got the $300,000 from a hard money lender. And so now I need um, money for acquisition. I mean, for uh, repair costs. So the hard money lender lent me the repair costs. So I got one loan for acquisition and repair costs from a hard money lender, but I still need money for closing costs. And so I've got a number of different private lenders that lend me money at generally speaking around 10%. So they lend me money for at around 10%. Um, so I borrowed money. I, I think I borrowed $50,000 on this particular property. I used part of that money for down payment and closing costs to close the deal. And then I used the rest of the money to get my contractor started with the first draw. So I didn't have to come out of my pocket with the first draw. On this particular property, we've got three draws. I, I believe the renovation cost is about $120,000. So it's $40,000 a draw. And and so that that so part of that first draw, um, which is forty thousand dollars, I used twenty of that twenty of the money that the private lender gave me um, to get started with the first draw to get them through the first draw, and then the lender 
reimbursed me the whole $40,000 for the first draw. So I bought that property using none of my own money, closing costs, down payment. Um, and to get started with the first draw, I used from a private lender, um, acquisition and renovation costs I got from a hard money lender. I came to the table with absolutely no money. I've been doing using private lenders probably for 10, 15 years now. And so one thing that you guys have to do, whether you're a real estate investor, whether you're a real estate agent, number one, you've got to find the opportunities. And then number two, as a strategy, because I like to do multiple deals at one time. I, I, I want to always try to scale my business. There's been times where I had 10 projects going on at various stages. And so um, you start to use up a lot of your own cash. And so I had to ask myself, how can I do this? How can I still scale my business, do more than one deal at a time, um, but and but still stay solvent, still you know stay organ organized, not be overcapitalized? And the answer was, there's lots of answers, but one of the answers was um, using private lenders. And so almost all of my flips, I try to use a private lender, whether I'm using hard money for acquisition and closing costs or uh, my line of credit. Um, I for closing costs, down payment, I still use a private lender. Um, so where do you find private lenders? You find private lenders all around you. There's people all around you that um, have money. They, they may have money in a 401k, um, a self-directed IRA, like a solo 401k. Um, they may have retirement money, pension money, wh whatever that is. Um, you you want to start to talk to them, let them know what you do. Um, for this particular property, I didn't do this because I have relationships with my private lenders, but you want to put together a, a package, um, the property, information about the property, the comps, what the after repair value is and show that, um, what the repair, co repair cost is, the scope of work, the draw schedule, all of those types of things, pictures of the property, pictures of all the houses around the property. And so you want to put a package together to give to that private lender. And then you want to show a track record. You want to let them know, you know, I've, I've flipped this property, I've done that property. And if you haven't, then you talk about someone that you know, or me and my partner or my partners have done this to get the money to do it. And so I have a number of private lenders that often call me, Greg, you've got anything. And so I use them. them. I'm happy to use them. Um, to leverage what I'm doing to really scale my business. Um, and then flipping properties, as you guys know, is probably one of the best ways. It's, it's the number one cash building strategy that we have as investors. Um, that and wholesaling real estate are the two really big cash building strategies. Um, flipping prop properties is number um, the number one cash building. And here in our area, in the DMV, the average flip is about, about $100,000. Um, nationwide, it's about $70,000. So, uh, but with high, high uh, reward is high risk. So with flipping property is high risk, you minimize the risk by borrowing the money, happy to pay it back. I look at the lenders as my partners. I look at um, the private lenders as my partners. And so, you know, I minimize my risk. So I want you to minimize your risk. Here's what I do with my private lenders. I have them sign, I sign a promissory note. And so I sign a note, a promissory note, 
um, on on for the private and it what it spells out is how much I'm borrowing when I'm going to pay it back. Generally, I say I'm going to pay it back within six months or when this particular property closes, whichever um, occurs first, it'll state the interest rate that I'm um, willing to pay. And then what I do is I also give a personal guarantee. I'm so confident in what I do. I, um, I give a, I give a personal guarantee, um, on what I, um, on what I'm promising them. So Patricia says that I'm, I keep freezing. Um, I, I don't see that I'm freezing, but, um, maybe I am. I apologize if I am, if I am freezing, but private lenders, you guys, you've got to get them. Um, you can make a lot of money investing in real estate, but it can be cash um, intensive. Minimize that by um, using other people. There's lots of people that want to get into the game of investing. They just don't know how. And so what you need to do, what I did as a young investor is I prided myself on finding deals. And so that's what you've got to do. So, and I still pride myself on finding deals. And so when you find deals, now you have options. And one of the options is to flip the property um, along with that, getting other people to help because they want to be a part of it. A lot of people, they have money, but they're in um, savings accounts where they're getting less than 1% on them. They're in CDs where they might be getting 1%. They're in mutual funds. And sometimes the mutual funds, you know, are, are getting three, four, five percent you're promising them 10% and every now and then I'll, I'll pay even more than that up to 15% and that money is annualized. So they get, you know, 10%, 15%, you know, um, compounded over, um, over 12 months. All right. So that's how I, I buy my flips using private money um, along with my, my line of credit or a hard money lender. All right, so we got subject to, we've got private lenders. Um, and in the end, I'll talk about combining some of these. My, my third favorite um, creative financing strategy is owner financing. And so the very first property that I bought, I was 23 years old. I had just, you know, I've been, I'm a, I was a big fan of this gentleman by the name of Carlton Sheets. And so um, he used to do these late night infomercials. And I was probably, I don't know, 20, 21 years old. And um, I was fascinated about real estate and real estate investing. I had read that the richest families in the world, 95% of them gained their wealth through um, real estate. So, you know, at 17 years old, I said, I'm going to get into real estate. And so I was in college. I was up late one night. Carlton Sheets came on infomercial, didn't have the money, borrowed the money, paid for his information. Um, books and cassette tapes and things like that. Read them from cover to cover, listened to the tapes. Um, year out of college, I was reading um, the classified section of the Washington Post and someone had put in the Washington Post um, a condo in DuPont Circle. That's in Northwest DC. And, and I said, I'm going to try my hand. I was 23. I was like, I don't have anything to lose. They was talking about owner financing. And I remember Carlton Sheets had talked about owner financing. So I reread that, that chapter and I made an appointment, went to the property and long story short, negotiated with the owner where I would buy the property. Now, at the, 
time, you could do these types of deals. I would buy the property. We'd go to settlement. They would be my bank. And I would pay, they would hold a note, an interest only note for five years. And I agreed to that. So I paid interest only for five years. During that five years, I rented the property for those five years. When that five year period was up, I then refinanced, paid them off and kept the property. And so that's an example of owner financing. Now owner financing is done just a little different uh, or I would recommend doing owner financing a little different. Now what I do, instead of taking a balloon for five years, um, I'll have the seller hold a note, but a, a note that's principal and interest over two years. And so I'll, I'll, and I'll, I'll just check to see what the current interest rates are there's a um, amortization chart that you can use um, online that will tell you what the payment should be at the current interest rate um, with, with the principal balance. And so that's how I do it now, because after the two years, I want some of that principal paid down. I'll still amortize it over 30 year payments, but I'll set it up so that I'm, I'm paying them off in two years. And so in two years, you've got options. You can either um, pay them off, uh, refinance, pay them off, continue to rent the property. If you're renting the property, you can flip the property and, and pay them off. So you've got, you've got a lot of different um, options there. Um, here's the paperwork. Here's the paperwork. And so I use an investor contract to acquire the property. Then I use an owner financing um, contract. It's really a note. And on the owner financing note, what, what I do is I, I put the, the principal payment, I put the interest payment. So I spell out on the owner financing note, all the details of that note. And so both that note and the contract gets recorded and I make the payments. And so that's owner financing. Owner financing is best used, in my opinion, when the owner owns the property free and clear. That's the easiest way to do owner financing. Um, um, is when the owner owns the property free and clear or when the owner has a very small note on the property. Otherwise, I'll do um, if they have a note, especially if they're behind on the note, I'll do a subject to. But if they're free and clear. So I, I ran into a gentleman in uh, Baltimore who had three rental properties. He owned them all free and clear. He didn't want the capital gain taxes right now. He's getting ready to retire. He wanted to pay capital gain on his properties after he retired. So he, ha he hadn't retired yet. And so um, he so he had, he came to me and said, what should I do? He I said, I'll buy the properties. Um, you hold the financing. And in two years, um, you you would have already retired. I'll go ahead and and um, refinance these and pay you off. And he agreed because um, he in retirement he's in a lower um, tax bracket. And so that's a, that's another reason, another um, strategy when people they don't want the capital gain immediately to um, use owner financing. So. Um, I love using owner financing. I use owner financing as often as I can, um, especially if they tell me I want to sell my property and I want to um, and they, they don't have a, a, a note. 
And then, so I'll try to put together a deal. I'll try to negotiate a deal where they're holding financing. I was in negotiations, it didn't go through, but I was in negotiations to buy a commercial building um, about six or seven months ago, eight months ago. And I was, I, I was going to get them, the deal was that I was gonna get a note from a lender and I was gonna have them take back a second which they were willing to do, take back a second note for two years. And I was gonna draw up the same way I just described on a commercial property that I that I had negotiated down to about um, uh, $2 million. But because of COVID and, and a few other things, the deal just didn't work out. Um, but always know it's easier to do a second mortgage, a second note, if you're gonna do a second, with an owner versus a lender, because most lenders want to be in first position. Um, but a seller, a motivated seller, they, they don't care. They'll take a second position um, as long as that note is a lien on the property. And so owner financing, you guys do owner financing um, whenever you can. Let the owner be the bank. All right. So we've gone through subject to buying subject to the existing mortgage using individuals um, as private lenders and then um, owner financing. Fourth is, and I love this too, is JV agreements, joint ventures, doing joint venture agreements. Um, I had a property in the Trinidad section of Northeast a couple years ago where um, I, I actually a wholesaler found the property. At the time, it was a time where I was doing like five or six or seven um, different properties at, at one time. It was a great deal. I didn't want to pass it up, but um, I didn't have a lot of cash on me at the time. And so one of my investors said, I'll put up all the money. And so I said, okay, let's, let's do it. And so we entered into a joint venture agreement where I had the property. Um, I was going to manage the property, get my contractors there, sell the property, um, they were, they had a, a job where they just too busy. All they want to do is put up the money. So they put up all the money. And in this case, we split the profits 60, 40, where I got 60, they got 40. They were happy with 40% of the profit. And so we did a JV agreement. And so we actually signed a JV agreement. They put up all the money and I basically did everything else. Now I've done joint venture agreements with contractors where I put up the money for acquisition, they put up the money for rehab, they managed the rehab. Um, and then when we sold the property, we split the profit 50-50. Um, they would give me receipts for the um, for material costs and we paid the material costs back. Um, I didn't pay them for labor, just material costs. And so they renovated the property and they wanted a piece. They wanted a piece of the action, not just a regular um, renovation costs. And so I've done joint ventures with, with lenders, with uh, other investors. And so I like doing JV agreements because I, I like the leverage. I like being able to do multiple deals at the same time. I don't have to get a full piece of the pie. I can split that pie up. I can get half or sometimes a little more than half. I'm happy with that because I want to do a number of deals. Um, I don't want to spread myself too thin. And I don't do as many deals as, as I used to do, but um, 
you can do more deals using these creative financing strategies. And so one thing that I would start working on, you guys, is try to find um, other investors or they don't even have to be investors. They could just simply be people who have money, um, whether they're what we call an accredited investor or not, you know, preferably an accredited investor who has a certain net worth and a certain understanding of what they're getting themselves into. But um, the way you scale, the way you go from doing one deal at a time. So when I was 23 years old, my goal was to buy one property at a time. And so I bought the first property in, du in DuPont Circle. And then every year after that, I bought one property. And then I, then I thought to myself after, after the five year mark, like I need to scale this. I need to do more than just, you know, one a year. And, and I was still young. I was still in my twenties. The way to do this was to partner. And so that's what I did. I'd find, I'd find the deals and there's a, there was a number of people that I would partner with um, that they would put up the money. Cause I, I didn't have a lot of cash at that time. I was cash poor kind of real estate rich. And so that's what we did. And so that's what you're going to have to do. Getting started is it's okay to partner with people. Make sure that you know who they are you vet them, you bond with them. Um, everybody has different strengths. And so I've seen people partner where uh, one partner had money, but the other partner was good at finding deals and they had great credit. And so sometimes if you just simply have great credit and get can get financing, you're a partner. But when we talk about partnering, doing um, joint venture agreements, you've got to bring something to the table. And so then the question is, what are you going to bring to the table? Um, are you good at either renovating properties or manage, or you have a crew that can renovate properties? Now you're a player. Do you have cash? If you have cash, and when I say cash, $50,000 or more, now you're a player. Um, can you find deals? Are you really good at hustling, finding deals, driving for dollars, social media, networking, um, cold calling? working um, probate deals. Are you good at those things? Because if so, and you can get the deals and you can get them under contract, now you're a player. And so you've got to put yourself in a position where you're a player, use somebody else's strengths. Now you can be, now you can do partnerships. You can do joint venture agreements, um, leveraging each other's skills. And that's what you've got to do. And that's what you've got to start thinking about in order to go from where you are to what your potential says you should be. And so I felt like even, even in my 20s, like my potential was that I could scale this where I could make a million dollars a year. Because if I could get to 10, this is just my math, if I could get to 10 deals a year and then average $100,000 a deal, and it's easier said than done. That's a million dollars. That, that's a million dollars. And so there's people that I know, some of my colleagues are doing 20, 20 deals a year, um, 30 deals a year. Um, one, of, one of my um, he's actually one of my agents. He's an agent investor. Um, he's probably by now doing about 60 deals a year. All in all, he, he now he doesn't buy unless he's buying for a million, selling for two or three million, where his profit is probably two, three, four hundred, sometimes a half million dollars on each deal. He's doing like 50 or 60 deals you know, a year. He's one of the top 
um, flippers in, in Washington, D.C., um, he borrows money. Like he borrows money. He's, he's leveraging, um, you know, his contacts, um, his credit. I haven't even talked about credit, but he's got the wherewithal to borrow the money. Generally borrows money from community banks. You guys want to get with a community banker. My line of credit is with a community banker. But you want to leverage and, and, and get that money. And so also to be a player, let me just mention this now really quickly. You've got to have you got to start working on your credit because that's an easy way for some of you guys. If if you're really not if you don't if you're not learned on rehab costs, construction costs, you don't have a crew. Um, if you don't have the time to um, go out and hustle and find deals, then save your money, your player and work on your credit. Be able to get financing, be able to come to somebody like me or some other people to say, you know, I just got a line of credit. Um, someone called me Sunday and said, I've got I just I'm going to have one hundred and hundred and seventy thousand dollars available in a HELOC, a home equity line of credit. If you have a deal, I'm, I'm willing to partner with you. And so that HELOC is just sitting there. It's not drawing any interest. It's just sitting there waiting to be used. He's not making any money. He does a deal with me, even if he's a private lender using that HELOC, which he just he fixed his credit, then he got the HELOC. Now he's going to make 10%, maybe 15% on that money. So you've got to be a player and in order to do a joint venture agreement, but start thinking about how can you become a player? What can you do? All right. So we talked about subject to private lenders, owner financing, joint venture agreements. And again, joint venture agreements can the split can be whatever you want. I feel like sometimes when I'm doing almost everything except for bringing the money, um, you know, I generally split between um, around 60, 40 split. When I deal, do, deal with a um, contractor, I'll split it 50, 50. Um, I'll take, I'll, I'll use my line of credit to acquire the property. They take care of the rehab, we split 50, 50. As long as, as, long as the responsibilities, and it's spelled out in your joint venture agreement, as long as the responsibilities are kind of split in half, and in most, some, most cases it's not exactly half, um, generally speaking, one partner is going to do more than the other and the partner that's going to do more than the other. You've got to be OK with it. It's all right. You've got to get through these deals. It's OK if you're splitting 50 50 and you do just a little more. You can't have any angst. You can't be in your feelings about it. Let's get through these deals. You needed that partner in order to get to where you were. So it's OK if you do a little more. It's all right. And so um, and so that's what we've got to do. All right. And so uh, owner financing, same as. And so Donna Cole is asking, is owner financing the same as a land contract? No, but a subject to a subject to is the same as a, um, what we call a, what we used to call when I first got in the business, a land contract. So we used to call subject to back in the day, a land contract. So that's subject to Donna. Um, all right. So the last one is um, lease option. And so. I got my real estate license back in, I was an investor first. Um, and then for about five or six years investing, um, I was in IT, I was a computer programmer, senior systems analyst, um, but I'm an entrepreneur through and through. And so um, I later left, I was, I was investing, 
I had my IT job and I was investing. The real estate agents were moving too slow for me. So I said, let me just go ahead and get my real estate license. And so I got my real estate license. So now I'm able to run my own comps, learn how to write contracts, started selling and got good at selling. Started selling back in the mid 90s. And I ran across this property that for me at the time, I was in my, I was around 30, 31 years old. The dream home. It was, um, it was a colonial. It was four bedrooms, two and a half bath, three levels, middle of the middle, um, middle of the cul-de-sac, um, two car garage, dream home, big deck, and it back to a lake, had ducks in the yard, beautiful home. And so I showed the property to one of my clients, and deep down I was praying, I was praying that they didn't want the property. Because I said to myself, if they don't want the property, I, I'm new in real estate, didn't have a lot of money. I mean, I'm new in real estate sales, didn't have a lot of money, but I was going to figure out a way to buy this property. And as luck has it, they didn't want the property. And I was like, thank you, Jesus. Now I've got to figure out how am I going to get this property? I don't really have the money. Um, I don't really qualify for, for this property. Um, it's a dream home for me. I'm like 30 years old, but it was my dream home. So here's what I did. Back then it was a market, um, unlike this market, it was a um, buyer's market where um, there's more sellers than buyers. Um, sellers, they were having a hard time selling their property. And so here's what I did. I approached the agent. Now I was just 30. I'm like, man, I, I have nothing to lose. I said, here's what I'll do. I'll rent the property from you, from the seller, from your client. I'll rent it for, for two years. We'll lock up a sales price now. And in two years, I'll, I'll have a loan. I'll get a loan and pay them off. It was a lease with an option to buy. And to my surprise, they said yes. Like they said yes. Like I'm 30 years old in my dream house. I couldn't believe it. And so they agreed to it. And I forget what the note was. I mean, my, my mortgage payment probably around at that time, around maybe $1,200. I could afford that. I was betting on myself that in two years I would qualify for the property. And in two years I did. So in, um, in two years, um, I exercised my option and paid them off and had that property. And I kept that property for about 15 years. Um, and I still have that property and, and I could kick myself for actually selling that property. But that's an example of a lease option. We use lease options um, for a number of different reasons or, or ways, but primarily to lock up a property to, um, to be able to rent it out and then at a later date be able to um, sell the property or refinance and, and keep the property um, like, like I did. And so in a lease option, you want the option to be to purchase the property and you want it to be your option um, and to sublet the, the property. Uh, and so I've done lease options on other properties where um, I had the option, but I've made sure I, I put into the agreement that I could sublet it out. And so I had a requirement on the lease 
to pay the owner $1,500 a month. But I knew by running the comps, I could rent it for more. And so I rented one property out for $2,000. Um, I sublet it out. And so I made $500 a month in, po in positive cash flow. And then in, in two years, I um, refinanced, paid them off. And now I was able to keep the whole, you know, the whole thing, the whole $2,000 minus, you know, my mortgage payment. And so lease options are, are a great way to acquire property, especially in a distressed market, not, not like a market that we're in, um, but to tie up a property. Um, another good thing about a lease option is if in a year or two, when an option period is over, if you don't want to buy a property, you don't have to, you're not bound by it. Um, and a lease option, sometimes you'll have to give some type of deposit up front that's um, non-refundable or They'll they'll take part of your rent and say, OK, you, you're, you pay us fifteen hundred dollars a month. We'll put two hundred or three hundred of that um, to go towards your your down payment. If you don't exercise the option, then we get to keep it. And so just keep that in mind. Hard to sell properties. Lease options are good. Um, market that is is kind of distressed. And so we've done lease options for all those types of properties. Now keep in mind, there's a lot of investors now that are investing in Airbnbs. Most people who invest in Airbnbs, they don't own the property. Now I'm not suggesting um, that you don't own on an Airbnb, so I would personally prefer to own the property, but a lot of, a lot of investors, they don't own on um, Airbnbs. They get a lease option, but what's called a master lease. And so they'll put a master lease on the property. And I was, I have a, I own a property in Annapolis. I was thinking about before I bought the property to um, put a master lease on it so that I could use it as an Airbnb. Um, but the master lease kind of states that you're going to keep the property for two years, five years, whatever it is. Um, that you're responsible for all the all the improvements on the property, anything that happens to the property, um, you're you're in charge of, and then that you get to you disclose that you're using it as an Airbnb, um, and then it also allows you to sublet it out as an Airbnb, and that's what a lot of people are doing with Airbnbs. They don't actually own the property; they're doing lease options or master leases as a creative way to get that cash flow. Um, the reason why I don't, I don't subscribe to doing the master lease is because the cash flow is good, but I want on my buy and holds, I want cash flow, but I also want equity and appreciation. So I, that's what I want. You're, and so when you're doing a master lease, um, you don't actually own the property. Um, because in most master leases, there's not an option to buy. It's just an option to lease for an extended period of time. But it's a great creative way to get cash flow. And then if you have an Airbnb in, in a great area, you know, some people, buddy of mine, like he told me yesterday that in one month, one month, he actually owns the property, but in one month, he pays for the whole entire year. So you can get a lot of great cash flow. And, and then, you know, if you scale that to two, three, four, some people have that are really into that business have 10 Air Airbnbs. You know, some of those people are probably making 50, 60 
um, you know, $70,000 a month and they haven't bought one property. And so, um, and so that's lease options. Um, that's master leases, um, great for buy and hold properties. And so kind of as a review, and you need to have creative financing strategies um, as part of your arsenal. I certainly do. Every property that I, I run into, I'm trying to use one of the strategies. I love using these strategies. I talk to my students about this all the time. Almost every time that we talk, I talk about these strategies, but it's the best way to acquire a number of properties, whether you're buying and holding. And a lot of these strategies you can use as buy and holds. Um, one of the first subject twos that I did probably about 15 years ago was a townhouse in Montgomery County, Maryland, Olney, Olney, Maryland. Um, it was a townhouse. I did a subject two. And instead of flipping the property, I paid that mortgage for two years. I rented it out um, to a to actually a voucher holder for two years. And then in two years, I, I paid paid them off and they, they were happy with that. They were happy because the house was getting ready to go to foreclosure. And so all these strategies are great for primarily flipping, in my opinion, um, um, except for lease options. But you can do buy and hold with all of these. You can do buy and hold, especially with owner financing. You can do buy and holds. And so you can do buy and holds with all these, all these things. So keep this in your arsenal. A, a, a lot of you think that I've got terrible credit. I can never get financing uh, or I've got terrible credit, but I have cash. Okay, here's what you should do. You should find properties that you can do subject to where you don't have to get um, a, a loan, a, a mortgage on the property or um, private, um, I'm sorry, owner financing where the owner is financing for you, could care less about your credit. Um, so that's what you should do. Look, no excuse not to be an investor. No excuse. I mean, work on your credit. But don't let that hold you up. There's there's a number of different um, creative financing strategies that you can use that no one even looks at your credit. I mean, I didn't even mention like wholesaling real estate. No one cares about your credit. You're not even showing um, you're not even showing that. And so um, let's use these strategies, you guys. Um, let's win. Let's make as much money as we can. Let's scale our business. Let's let's move towards financial freedom. One of my major concerns is that my my real estate agents and all the other agents um, are just too happy just listing and selling real estate. Like and they're running up against deals and they're happy to just list the properties, happy to get three percent commission or two and a half percent commission. No, we're going to take these properties. We're going to disclose that we're an agent and we're going to try to work it out. We're going to try to, um, you know, use some some of these strategies or buy in the traditional way so that we can improve our lives. But we've got to think like we, we've got to strategize and you've got to be around like minded people that um, know what to do, have the experience that can guide you in the right way. You will never, ever retire financially free just listing and selling real estate. That's for the real estate agents. You've got to invest. Um, yes, you're happy. Yes, you're content with what you're making, what you're doing now. 
a whole big, a big world out here where there's agent investors. We call our agents agent investors that are making probably 10 times what you're making because you're just happy with the status quo. You're just happy just making a real estate commission. All right. So let me see if there's any questions. Follow me. Follow me here um, on my Instagram. Um, follow me now. Subscribe to my YouTube channel. Um, hopefully, you know, every week um, or a couple times a week, we're giving you um, some good nuggets, some quality information that can help you. Hopefully you guys um, leave here today and I'm getting ready to end this with some just even some nuggets just to think about or to further read about. You guys contact me via um, Instagram. I'm happy to answer your questions. All right. Um, let me see, Lawrence. Let's see. Let me show his question. What suggestions do you have as far as financing? If I locate a property that I want to flip, I don't know any private lenders. Should I go to regular lend to a regular lender since this would be my first flip? Um, I just met the owner who intends to sell fairly quickly. I need to be able to move quickly when he decides to um, it's time to sell. And so, Lawrence, my suggestion would be obviously to, to give me a call. But um, if you don't have the money or if you can't get financing, my suggestion is to partner with someone. Partner with me. Lawrence happens to be in um, an agent here in my office, but partner with me or partner with someone. Um, generally speaking, a lender, um, especially like a community bank, they they want to see you have completed two deals, two deals. Now, whether you're a partner on that deal or you did it on your own or you're just a private lender, they want to see what they call past performance. And so oftentimes my agents, I'll just put them on a deal, um, say, give me ten thousand um, dollars. I'll give you 10 percent just to give them past performance. So, Lawrence, you need past performance in order to get the best financing. And that's from like a like a, a community bank um, or partner, partner with someone that can help you. And I'm happy to partner with you or as many other agents in the office, um, Lawrence, that, you know, that would be happy to partner with you. Look, you guys. When you guys are first getting started, it's a learning curve. There's no shame in splitting the profits for the sake of learning. And so you've got to learn. And so and it's OK. It's OK to split the profits um to learn and so so that's what i i would highly recommend um to you lawrence to simply partner with someone all right so jason is saying seems like owner financing is good for probate properties right you know honestly it depends generally on a probate property um unless they're distressed the personal representative and the heirs, they want their money um, right away. Um, owner financing, they're not getting their money right away. Now, subject to, they will um, once the house is renovated and sold. Um, but generally on probate, um, e even though in most cases, 70% of the time on a probate, um, the owner died um, owing no money on the property 70% of the time they die with the mortgage free and clear. Um, and I know I did say with owner financing, it's best used when there's no mortgage on the property. Probate is different. Probate, 
those heirs, um, especially if they're Generation Xers, so the baby boomers are passing away now. The Generation Xers are the ones who are generally the, the personal representative. They're the ones that were taught to go to school and, and get degrees, but consequently, you know, they're, they're mainly, and I'm not stereotyping, it's kind of funny, uh, working nine to five jobs. That's just what that generation was taught. So they're living paycheck to paycheck. They need that money. And so they're not going to do owner financing, generally speaking, because it's, it, owner finance, it takes longer to get to that money. And so when we see a generation Xer who's a personal representative, we know that they want their money pretty quickly. Um, let's see. I don't think there's any other questions. I don't see any other questions. Um, thank you guys. Thank you guys for being here. Lots of you guys stayed on. I really appreciate it. Hopefully, hopefully this, um, kind of enlightened you, um, that you can do further research. Again, I'm happy to, um, meet, you know, meet with you or answer any of your questions. If you guys are interested in our brokerage, um, go to joinbrs.com. It's scrolling at the bottom. Joinbrs.com. We'd be happy to talk to you. Um, but look, let's let's really start working on our personal finances. Let's let's scale um, through information, through knowledge. Let's scale our income. Let's scale our finances. Um, I don't want your excuse to be. I didn't have the resources. I didn't have the tools. I didn't have the support. I didn't have the knowledge. Um, I'm here and I'm willing to help. I, you know, I, I, the only way I'm going to get my blessings is to be a blessing to you. And so allow me to be a blessing. Allow my whole team to be a blessing. We want everybody to win. And like we want, you know, if one boat rises, we all rise. So let's go, you guys. Let's win. All right, you guys. Um, take care. God bless. And I will talk to you soon. Take care. Thank you.